I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the esports prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now. From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul, the prophet, Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of esports. What we do is we cover the most pressing gaming and esports topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the five-star ratings and reviews, all the love you show the podcast. If you haven't already, share the podcast with a friend, leave a five-star rating on it. It helps to spread the podcast, grow the podcast, and we really appreciate it. Jeff, how you doing this week? I'm doing great. I feel like I've got called up to the big leagues. You know, this is my <laughs> third time, I think, on BOE, but first time as a, a co-host. So I'm, move, I'm moving on up, I guess, up the hierarchy. What, what what was the reference? I forget. It was I think it was you who brought up. There was some baseball reference. Wally Pip. Yes. Uh, he, he was... Uh, he was the guy who started for the Yankees right before Joe DiMaggio. And I guess the story is he got hurt one day and he missed one game. And then he like never <laughs> played again. Because, you know, <laughs> Joe DiMaggio played like, a thousand games in a row. Maybe it was Cal Ripken. So, I can't remember the story, but it was basically a baseball <laughs> player who was a starter, got hurt, and the guy took his job. 
So I will do that to Jimmy. Jimmy, yes. I'm sure, is enjoying his honeymoon, but he might he might not have a job when he comes back. You know, he, he might be done out. for good. Yeah, this, exactly. these things happen. I mean, this is life in the big leagues. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I, you know, uh, Jimmy is missed, but it is so great to have you. For our listeners, actually, it's a good time to remind them that you and I co-host a show, though, weekly together on the metaverse and Web3 stuff called Meta Business. So if you aren't subscribed to that, make sure to go check that out. Um, but I don't want to waste any time because we have, a, I'll tease we have an, <laughs> we, we, both know why I'm, we both know why I'm really on the show today. Uh, on yes. the <laughs> I'm hoping by the end of the show I'll be verified on Twitter. I don't want to know who our guest is, but I think I, I think that I got a good shot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Also, second good reminder: go follow the juice on Twitter at Jeff Cohen twenty three soon to be verified on Twitter. <laughs> um, but this is a good, perfect segue to our guest this week. Um, you know, we have always great guests on the show. But this week, maybe one of the ones I'm most excited about, maybe one of the most impressive guests we've ever had on the show. And I'm super excited to have him here. We have none other than Rishi Chada, who is the global head of gaming content partnerships for Twitter. Rishi, welcome to the Business of Esports podcast. Paul, Jeff, thanks so much for having me today. Rishi, for our listeners who, uh, the, you know, the few who maybe have not heard about you or seen you on Twitter or, or know about you, would love a little bit of your background story, how you got into gaming, why you did, and, and talk about maybe some of the work you're doing at Twitter today. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I've been in the gaming and esports space for almost 13 years now. I've uh, been at Twitter for almost five now. I admittedly went to, I, I kind of fell into the industry and was very much in it at a very early time. When I came out of college, um, I wasn't really sure. I was growing, graduating during the time of like the first recession. Wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I originally went to school to be a doctor and then I ended up changing majors to economics. And so uh, I was re- wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And a buddy of mine was like, hey, I work at the startup that does eyewear. I'm looking for someone to do business development. Would be interested. And so... I went over there and one of the IRA we were doing was for computer use. And basically one of our target demos was gaming. And so that's actually where I got first, uh, you know, got to check out an, a major league gaming event and got to see what people were doing or playing professionally or people were posting videos on YouTube. And so from there, I went over to a company called Machinima and helped lead their partnerships and built their network up uh, on the multi-channel network up. From there, uh, I went over to Major League Gaming and helped launch their live platform and worked with them on content distribution as well as working with the likes of Valve and Activision Blizzard on their esports programs. And then after that, and we got acquired by Activision, uh, I moved over to the mobile game space to a company called Mobcrush that did mobile game streaming. Uh, And then from there, I ended up at Twitter. And so uh, in my role right now, I work with everyone from game publishers and developers to esports teams and leagues to gaming personalities to uh, award shows on how they best utilize the platform across a couple key things, which are revenue, reach, and innovation. So how do you really develop and distribute awesome content on the platform that allows you to grow and engage your audiences? But also, how do you also monetize your audiences too and build a business on the platform? And, and Rishi, maybe can you talk a little bit about how you see Twitter fitting into the gaming ecosystem, right? Like what, what is, how would you define Twitter's place in that world? Is it like the second screen to some of the other stuff that, that people are doing around gaming content? Is it about original content there? Like, where do you see Twitter's place in the in this world? Yeah, I, I would say 
uh, it's very much a second screen experience. Uh, what I always like to say is no matter what video game it is or where that game is broadcast, people come to Twitter to talk about it. Uh, we're the home for all gaming conversation, very much like the traditional sports. It's, you know, that esports bar, if you will, where people are coming to talk about everything that's happening. So they'll be watching something on the big screen or on their computer screen and in another screen or on their phone, they have Twitter open. They're sharing conversations. They're leaned in. They're talking about what's happening. They're clipping and they're sharing short form videos. Uh, it's really where all the zeitgeist is happening around gaming. But what's also really unique about Twitter is that it allows for that gaming conversation to also then merge with mainstream conversation and expose mainstream culture to gaming in a way that you can't see anywhere else. I mean, how has that been received? Because, you know, at least anecdotally, we've seen examples of, you know, the I think it was the time that an Overwatch League match was broadcast like on ESPN or ABC or something. And, and you know, there was a, a ton of tweets about like, you know, what is this? Why? Like, what am I watching here? Um, like what has been maybe you could talk a little bit about that overlap between mainstream and sort of gaming echo chamber and, and how these things, these worlds collide on Twitter. Yeah, I think you get you get a lot of excitement when it happens because then you see like the gaming community comes together and it's like, oh my God, this is an amazing moment. Think about when Drake first streamed Fortnite with Ninja or you think about the moments of just like big partnerships being announced where these major big brands are coming into the gaming space. The community is really excited about that. And they'll also show up to defend themselves too when people are like, well, why is this here? Or why is this happening? So there's almost this, uh, the platform allows for the community to come together and celebrate, but also then hold accountable those that are kind of questioning why this should be even happening. And I think it's it's been more of a positive experience in the long term of like, hey, we're being able to see how this is progressing and everybody's coming together on Twitter. I just remember going back and looking at some of the tweets of like, People being like, this is how, like, this is peak Twitter. This is the best part of Twitter of all of us coming together to celebrate this magical moment that's happening that's bringing us into the mainstream and, and how important that is. So, um, obviously, that was many, many years ago, but it's just so incredible to see those moments happen. And we've seen many of them happen over the years now, too. I'm curious, uh, you know, how much interest Twitter has right now, maybe in, in live streaming. I know there's been some history with the company, Periscope, and, and sort of shut that down. But do you think as you're as you're thinking about a gaming strategy, is live streaming a part of it? We've seen a lot of the other big social players get into it, then get out of it. Um, a couple that with, you know, could you ever see Twitter actually broadcasting, um, you know, esports leagues, or esports matches? And then maybe you could also talk about spaces. So just yeah. in the broad context of live. Totally. So uh, taking a step back, um, we used to stream, we had a partnership Many years ago with ESL, we were streaming a lot of the Intel Extreme Masters and ESL One events. So we've done that in the past. Um, I, I think in general, the way I look at live is there's already significant players in the space doing a lot of really amazing things. There's no, It's not necessary for Twitter to get in the mix for that too to make it work. I think what we do a really good job of is complementing all of those other platforms. We're that place where people can have conversations, share from clips and highlights to be able to notify people in their lives. So we already have a really important role that we're playing. And I want us to just be really good at that role and not try to have to reinvent the wheel there. We do support live video still on the platform. We have it now, like Periscope's been inter integrated into our media studio functionality. And so for us, you know, it's always about if we have live broadcasts on the platform, how is that complementing the conversation that's happening? Right? Like the Game Awards, E3, these, these big gaming events that are happening. Or is it shoulder programming? 
pre and post shows for esports tournaments. All of those things make a lot of sense for the platform because they help foster conversation and are complementary to our platform. But they're also not going to go and cannibalize viewership on other platforms too. Rishi, does that imply that like Twitch chat is more your direct competitor than Twitch or YouTube are as platforms in and of themselves? Uh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say Twitch chat is a competitor or Discord is a competitor. And and here's the the analogy I like to use for stuff like that is like we are the actual bar you go to, and there's a bunch of people in there. It's a rowdy Friday night, right? We're that bar. That table where you're sitting with your friends, that quiet table in the corner that you're sitting in or the private room that you're sitting in, that's very much a Twitch chat or a Discord, right? There's an ecosystem for both things to be living together and they actually like info share and things are happening because of that. So it's actually like much more of an e- a broader ecosystem. And I think that we are actually that conversational layer of the internet across the board. So we have much more of a public facing um, uh, ecosystem that we built out with that. And and sorry, let me take that one step further. Is the implication then that Twitter is not going to get into this? Because there's a game right now of hiring away content creators on exclusive basis, right? We see YouTube paying people to jump ship from Twitch and people coming back to Twitch. And we saw it with Mixer and we saw it with Facebook. And, you know, is there is there a world where Twitter throws their hat in this ring and says, we want content creators exclusively on Twitter? Or is the message I'm getting from you here that, that's not ever of interest to Twitter. That's not ever of interest to Twitter. It's, it, again, we, we are focused on being a supporting layer of the internet and we complement all the other platforms. So for us, we're very neutral in that. And we're not looking to have people exclusively on our platform. We're looking to be an additional revenue stream for our partners and for creators. We're looking to be an additional distributional layer for our creators and partners as well too. So there's no need for us to have to make that exclusive. I've seen the exclusivity game for nine plus years in my career. I've done it multiple times before, but one thing's for certain that's held true throughout all of it is that Twitter is not a place that requires that. It's a place that is connected with all the other platforms. And, and uh, you, you mentioned monetization. Like, is that, what is, what is the sales pitch to creators uh, from a monetization perspective to get them to put content on Twitter or to use Twitter? Like, what is that sales pitch from a monetization perspective for creators? Yeah, we've, we've launched a few new things recently. So I think like that's what's been really exciting to see around tipping, also around super follows. Uh, you know, I think both are still pretty new, but we're starting to see how they continue to develop and how people are going to utilize them in the future. I think what we've also done now with e-commerce and with shopping is something that's been really exciting where we're now importing uh, shop modules onto your profile pages. So as creators are building their own merch out, they can distribute that there too. Uh, so those are the few things that are like really new that we've put out that I think are, are exciting parts of like how creators can monetize on Twitter. But separately, we also have our program com- called Amplify Pre-Roll. It's uh, basically you know, a really brand safe way for you to monetize clips and highlights on the platform via Pre-Roll. And so it's invite only, but we allow people to then come in. They can post their gameplay highlights, their stream highlights, their clips, their cuts down, cut downs, all short form content. And they can actually then monetize it with us and do pretty well. So what's exciting about this and the way I like to pitch it is this is an additional revenue stream for you. That's not just your YouTube or your, or your streaming plans. It's actually something else that can be complementary to it. It doesn't cannibalize what you're doing. I think we all know, and I think creators in general are looking at it right now and saying, how do I continue to diversify my revenue streams? We can't just put all our eggs in one basket. 
And so that's been the unique opportunity for us is to say like, we're an additional output for you and here's why you should be doing stuff. Um, Rishi, one thing I wanted to touch on was, and because we brought it up on our live show, we do a live stream every week on, on Wednesdays at 2.30 PM Eastern time. And uh, we've talked about the gaming report that you and Twitter put out, um, I guess twice a year now, or is it it's yearly or it's twice yearly, I believe. And, and one thing I think we all took away, or I think the question all of us on the panel had that day that we taught, we discussed it was there's so many names on these lists that as pri primarily North American focused podcast seem to come out of left field. Right. And it, we were trying to figure out is the conclusion from these reports that um, from a North American perspective, everyone is massively underestimating, for example, the Latin American um, gaming ecosystem and how popular it is? Or is it that Twitter is so popular in that part of the world that the data is, is biased that way? Right? Do you see what I'm saying? We were trying to figure out, is it, is it that there's so many people who use Twitter in Brazil that, of course, you're going to get a ton of tweets about Brazilian esports teams? Or is it truly that as North Americans, we underestimate the scale of gaming in places like Brazil? I, I, would, say it's, I would say it's much more of the latter. And here's, and here's why. Okay. We've been doing this report now for almost I've been doing it five, five years now. And we've seen there's been a huge shift in just the fandom and the way the conversations evolved. Like, look at the esports scene, right? Up until probably last year, Face uh, Clan was the number one most talked about team in the world. And then Loud showed up, right? And now you're also seeing that you have many, before too, that list used to be significantly more North American heavy. But now we're starting to see the globalization of esports. We're starting to see the fandom for esports globalize as well. So it's not just like, oh, it's the people in Brazil tweeting about it, but you also have people in Europe tweeting about it or other regions tweeting about these teams too. So I think what was happening is that North America was dominating for such a long time the conversation, but we've seen now that the conversation is actually becoming more global. And because of that, it's represented the list that we have now too. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me because some of the names on this list, again, right, like, Face Clan, everyone recognizes they're now public company, but things like Loud, Carmine, Crazy Raccoon, these are not brands that are that well known in North America. Um, and, 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 you know, the, I have a curiosity, like, we would love to know what is the volume of tweets, for example, like, are we talking about hundreds of millions, tens of millions, right? Like the, I think there's a lot of interesting data behind the scenes here, I'm sure that you guys can can sort of parse and figure out. And then Jeff, if I can throw a follow-on to that question, is there anything that some of these top teams are doing that maybe is making them stand out? Like maybe Loud is doing different collaborations or they had a really interesting partnership that they announced. Like is there, or is it just they have more fans? Like is it, hey, kudos to that social media manager or is it, well, no doubt they have to I, I think it's the way the fans use Twitter and how they tweet. They're much more frequent tweeters. You also just are looking at um, the way Brazilian fans tweet or Japanese fans tweet. They they tweet in such volume that it also drives up the conversation quite a bit. Um, I think also it's a big thing is like how where their fans are, and a lot of these teams that are on this list have much more of a global presence than some of the other teams that are much more focused to their own region. Uh, Zach Mazzotta is on my team. He actually also dropped all of the U.S. insights. And if you look at the U.S. insights, it's totally different. Uh, and it's much more North American, right? So I think it's, that, it's a testament to like where the conversations are driving from, where they're coming from. And then I think the advice for a lot of the other folks that aren't on the list or lower on the list is think about how you're globalizing your strategy. What are you doing to actually tap into a much more global audience so that you have more fans tweeting about you? And then also think about what games you're in, too. Some of the teams that are on here, right? Like Loud is doing Green and Free Fire, but they're also in CB Law. And CB Law is one of the most talked about leagues for esports. And so it's like a testament to thinking about what are your strategies and what you're tapping into as well. Uh, Rishi, we had um, Tips out, who's one of the owners of OTK uh, on the podcast. And Tips expressed sort of uh, something that I thought was very powerful as a content creator, uh, where he said, look, as OTK 
the way we think about platforms is things like TikTok are where we participate to drive growth and Twitch is for monetization, right? And they sort of have pigeonholed platforms in terms of, is it for growth or is it for monetization? Where on that spectrum would you put Twitter today? Like if, if TikTok is sort of far end of growth, because they don't really have much from a monetization perspective, and Twitch is really on the other opposite end in terms of monetization, because growing there, if you're at zero is really difficult. Like where is Twitter on that spectrum if you're a, a content creator in your mind? It's a good question. I would probably put us right in the middle. We're a little bit of both. I think we're really, good, we're really good for like we have monetization opportunities and we're able to do more with that. But separately, we're also the place that you're using to tell people you're live. You're telling, utilizing us to help distribute content and build awareness around yourself and your organization and your content. So we play an important role for both sides of the spectrum. And, and, and you mentioned, um, like, I, I guess, does that mean, does that imply that the type of content creator who uses Twitter will be a certain type? Or do you think it's very much open to anyone in the same? And I'll, I'll sorry, I'll get, I'll give a bit more color around that in the same way, certain types of content creators do very well on TikTok, but may struggle on a platform like Twitch, right? Like a, an IRL streamer on TikTok is not going to do as well as they would on Twitch necessarily, or, you know, and so are there subgenres of content creators that you think Twitter is particularly well suited for today? Or is it very much not the case that it's specific to anyone? I think it can be, it's, it's not, it's not specific to any type of content creator in my opinion. And here's why what you've been describing is, two types of video consumption habits, uh, which being long form video, and then also TikTok being short form video. And I, I, as much as I, I think that video is a priority for Twitter, it's going to be a priority and continue will continue to will be. Um, we also are far more than that, right? We're more than 280 characters. We've got text-based, image-based, video-based, audio-based content on the platform too. So it really depends on what you're skilled at and what you want to focus on on the platform. But you can really cater to any of that stuff on our platform. So it's not specific to, can you do it because you're on Twitch or can you do it because you're on TikTok? I think both we've seen, both types of creators thrive on the platform because we're so much more than just video. How do partnerships, Rishi, with the developers look like today, the publishers? Um, and I'll ask this in the context of you know, we've had so many guests come on the show, talk about word of mouth driving adoption of new games, right? That a, when a new game drops, if streamers aren't playing it and people aren't talking about it, the, the chance of success of the game goes way down. Um, how, do you, how are your conversations with publishers and developers in that context? So we, with publishers and developers, there's a few areas we try to think about. We run is how do we collaborate with our, our publishers on thinking about really innovative ways to drop information or drop announcements around their upcoming titles or things that are happening with their games? Uh, a great example is just the way we've worked with Epic Games and Fortnite and all of the things we've done with them around each of their seasons, whether it's the profile flips we've done that if, everybody, if you get enough people to submit an avatar flip, we'll release new parts of the map or the black hole experience that we did a few years back. So it's like thinking about how do we get 
people talking about what's happening in really fun and engaging ways that drive conversation, but also allow us to then collaborate on showcasing exclusive content on Twitter too. So there's that component. And then separately, I think you also have, as more publishers are getting into esports, so think Riot Games or Activision Blizzard, we're also working with them on their esports strategy and thinking about how we can be a distribution partner for them around clips and highlights, and also looking at ways that we can monetize their content with them through brand partnerships too. Uh, on those esports leagues specifically, um, I'd love for you to compare and contrast sort of the experience with a Riot versus an Activision Blizzard, um, in the sense that you know Activision Blizzard has always focused on these team-based, uh, city-based leagues, um, versus a Riot, which I think has taken a more global approach, more brand-driven approach. Um, is there is there any sort of has any one succeeded better on Twitter versus another? Like, obviously, you can target, you can geo-target on Twitter and do those kinds of things. So, like, have the Activision Blizzard leagues used it to great success as a consequence of that? Because they can reach only people in New York or only people in Boston. Like, what is that experience? What have the differences been between those two experiences? I'm curious. Um, I, I would say, in general, what I've really tried to focus on with both partners is how we continue to reach fans globally. So while they, while, you know, Activision Blizzard may be looking at city-based leagues and things like that, I still try to focus on a global lens with them of how do we just reach as many people as possible? And how do we think about this as driving as much conversation as possible? So really that's more of our focus because, you know, just because it, and I'll use this traditional sports analogy of like someone could live like I'm an Oakland Raiders fan or now Vegas Raiders fan, right? But I live in Southern California and that doesn't matter where the team is. I'm a fan of them. And I think it's the same thing with esports. Is it doesn't matter where the team is based or located. You can be a fan of them anywhere in the world. And so that's always been my, my framing with them of how do we drive conversation and do stuff that's going to engage the entire globe. Uh, and I do the same thing with Riot too. But I think with Riot, they have some of the more localized leagues. And so for us, it's about how do we also just help support your local leagues in addition to your global events and things like that? So uh, not much of a difference to me. So I, I, this may be a little bit of a disappointing answer, but there's not much of a big difference between how we approach both of them because they both can learn from that same type of mindset. And so, you know, they've both been amazing partners to work with on how we can do those things and have both been really leaned in and really open and receptive to the feedback we've given on that stuff. Um. Rishi, I, we only have a few more minutes here, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, I think, what is a hot button topic in the industry and and something we hear a lot about, which is, you know, diversity and toxicity. And I'm curious what Twitter is actively doing on those two fronts, because, you know, uh, just in my own personal experience, <laughs> Twitter can be a toxic environment. Um, I, I'm also very opinionated. So, I mean, I guess it's comes with the territory but um you know what what is what are some of the things you guys are doing and how are you looking at that um if you are yeah so uh you know we we always want to serve the public conversation but we also want to make sure that we're a platform that provides a healthy public conversation that's that's most important for us too so we've launched a lot of different new tools recently um one was safety mode the other one was conversation controls, which allow you to determine who can reply to your tweets. Recently, we've, uh, we've released it, the ability for folks to remove themselves from a conversation. So let's say a conversation is just getting too spicy and you don't want to be a part of it anymore. You can eject. So those are the things that we're trying to get out there to allow for people to have more control over their conversation. 
Uh, even with conversation controls, you can now adjust them like into the conversation. So like, let's say the conversation is going, getting out of hand. You can reel it back in and say, you know what? Only people following me can now reply to this. Or if you want to open it up, you can change it the other way too. So we're really focused on pushing out more of those tools that allow for much more of a healthier conversation or at least the ability to control that conversation. And then separately, I think just diversity and inclusion, you know, in general, what I've noticed is that there has been a systemic problem where if you weren't necessarily part of an esports team or knew the biggest and best people, you didn't get the access to things or didn't learn about things and didn't have access to tools. And that's something that I just want to continue to change and push forward. It's it's really, really important to get more people that aren't just, you know, white males to have actually be a part of the conversation, allow them to have access to the same tools and do more too. So we're really, really keen on just providing that and getting more access to everyone for things like Media Studio, doing stuff like Amplify Pre-roll or getting access to our monetization tools because we want to be able to provide that what we have for, for everybody and for all of the top creators. Because I think it's really important as kids are starting to get older, our generation is getting older and now we're going to have, and they're having kids, they're going to want to see creators that are going to look like them and not just creators that have looked the same for a long period of time. And so... I think we just need to see more of that happening. And, you know, I'm committed to trying to make sure that happens, especially on Twitter. Thanks, Rishi. Uh, that's, that's definitely a good, good sentiment. I know we're, uh, we're kind of getting to the, the end here, but I've got one more kind of big picture question for you. Probably could spend another half hour on this one, but could you maybe just talk about, you know, your vision for the future of Twitter gaming? What, what does the next three, five years look like? What are your big strategic kind of initiatives on a highlight here? Yeah, uh, I want, I think in the next three to five years, I want any gaming creator to be able to come on Twitter and build a business. So I want to be able to scale the, I want to be able to scale things like Amplify Pre-Roll. I want to be able to allow for people to then do stuff with monetization and be able to distribute video in an easier way. Uh, I also want to be able to see what we do with things like communities and how we can allow people to then build their own communities on the platform that complement what they do elsewhere. Uh, we're just going to continue to be more of that connective layer uh, on the platform. And we're going to focus on just continuing to support creators in general and becoming much more of a viable place for creators, in addition to whatever else they're doing on other platforms. I think it's an awesome vision, Rishi. Um, I love that for our audience. Uh, so much insight here. Like I said, we, like Jeff said, we could probably have uh, gone two more hours with this. Um, how can people follow you, Rishi, and, and follow the work you're doing at Twitter and uh, and maybe sort of Keep track of, of the new stuff coming from Twitter on the gaming side. Yeah, uh, definitely check out. Uh, so I'm at R-D-O-T-C-H-A-D-H-A. Uh, also follow at Twitter Gaming. And then uh, definitely check out at Twitter Create as well as we continue to use that to showcase new content and updates. That's awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Rishi, uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, our fans can, of course, look forward to at Jeff Cohen 23 being verified this week. <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> um, no, I'm just teasing. Um, a couple of, of last housekeeping points before I let uh, everybody go here. Don't forget, guys, make sure to follow Business of Esports everywhere on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, everywhere you get our content. There's so much content that we put out on all these platforms. Um, also, don't miss our live stream on Wednesdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a new time. We really appreciate everyone who shows up for that. It's a lot of fun. We cover all the news from the week uh, with a bigger cast. So it's a, it's a blast. Wednesdays, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, guys, don't forget the most important thing. The future is fun. We'll see you guys next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at bizesports. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.